Good morning. Hope you all are doing well. I haven't seen some of y'all since last year. Uh, sorry. Um, <clears throat> I heard good things from our director of missions. He filled in for uh, me last week on the pulpit as our family took a little Christmas vacation. and uh, It's a good deal of refreshing getaway, and thank you for your prayers on that. You can see behind me, grab your Bibles. Hopefully you brought a copy of God's Word with you. And make your way to an Old Testament book, Second Chronicles. We're going to be in chapter 4. And we're going to be looking through verses 1 through 7 this morning. Um, for the last several years, we've started each year with a focused word or a focused theme. And the one that God placed on my heart back in the summer was the word awaken. The word awaken carries the meaning of revival. About bringing something back to life. And as I began to pray what God wants to focus on, this word, this word, awaken, just kept coming to my mind and kept going onto my heart. It's easy for us as God's people at times to just simply go through the motions in our relationship with God, to go through the motions in our spiritual walk. And some of us have been in church almost our whole life or maybe our entire life, and so we kind of have this programming in our mind about what is probably expected of us as Christians, as God's people. You know, we go to church like we're here this morning. Uh, we read our Bible. We memorize Scripture. We, uh, we tithe and we give offerings and we support missions and um, we sing worship songs. And we make it our goal to be an overall good human being, an overall good Christian, and there's nothing wrong with those things, but like I said, sometimes we can just go through the motions of those things. Sometimes we can just do them because, well, like I said, that was what we've been programmed to do. But I believe in every single believer, God has instilled something in us all that is the same, and that is a desire for a deep intimacy with the Father, a desire for a deeper understanding of the Son, Jesus Christ, and the work he did for us, a, a desire to be filled and overflowing with the Holy Spirit. I hope you have that desire. We all, inside of us, if we are God's children, desire this sort of awakening, this sort of revival, being brought back to life. Even if you're doing well in your Christian walk, if you like where you are, that's, that's great, but you know God wants more for us. He wants to reveal himself more to us. He wants us to have more of an understanding of who he is. He wants the spirit to be not just inside of us, dwelling, sealing us for eternity, but he wants his spirit to be flowing out of us into the people that he has placed in our lives. Now, I say the word revival, and some of you are here this morning, and you remember revivals. You remember what those are, and some of you are here just a different generation, and you're like, uh, what? Maybe you've seen it in a movie or something. Some of y'all, when you hear revival, you think of those week-long services where you went to church every single night, and a lot of times the church would be packed out, and you'd be singing songs, and a preacher would give an uplifting message or a challenging message, and you felt God moving in your heart. And some of you hear that. You went to church every night during the week, and that freaks you out. But those old-time revivals, those tent revivals, and because the word revival can be a foreign word, that's why we're going with the word awaken. I went and Googled the word revival this last week, and I was shocked to what popped up. The very first entry 
concerning revival dealt with a rug company. The second entry dealt with something to do with pets. I actually had to scroll down on the search to finally come to a definition of what revival might be. And this gives us just a little bit of an image. Revival is an improvement in the condition or strength of something and the instance of something becoming important again. And I read that definition that the wonderful World Wide Web has given us. And my only problem with that definition is it makes revival almost sound like a fad. The word revival, according to the Bible, scriptural revival, spiritual revival, means to awaken. And it happens when God shows up and moves within the lives of his people. Now let's talk about the opposite of revival. The opposite of revival is Apathy. Apathy carries a meaning of a lack of interest, a lack of enthusiasm, and a lack of concern. I'm going to set a scene up for you that will help us understand what's going to happen in our passage this morning. There once was a nation led by God. A nation was founded on the word of God, but over the course of time, it slowly started to move away from those foundations And drift away from God. Leaders began to emerge within this nation that were corrupt. And by their ungodly leadership, they led the nation down that route. And people started turning away from God. Eventually, this nation became divided over some pretty significant issues. And in the midst of all this, God was still there. And God was still working. But the majority of people of this nation were unwilling to listen. As time went on, the nation went to war. They began to struggle with finances, began to lose their identity. Nations began to attack, and soon there were enemies all around them and all within them. Once as people of this nation remember a time of flourishing, now that was just a distant memory. If I were to ask you what nation you might think I'm talking about, some of you might say, well, that sounds a lot like the United States today. But I'm actually describing the nation of Israel as found in the Old Testament. In the Old Testament, the nation of Israel and its people were founded upon the law and the promises of God. In that foundation, the nation flourished under the guidance of the word of God and through men of God. It wasn't always done right, but time and time again, the nation of Israel would return to its roots in the Lord. Soon leaders would emerge and be given the title of king. First one was a man by the name of Saul. Bible tells us King Saul was a handsome fellow, rather tall fellow. He looked the part. He was appointed by God through the prophet Samuel to fill this appointed role as king over the nation of Israel. But if you know the story of Saul, over time he began to slip away and a new king was anointed in David. King David loved the Lord. He established the nation of Israel as one of the most powerful nations in the world and a nation that was respected all throughout the known world. When David died, his son Solomon took the title, and the nation of Israel flourished in a period of peace and prosperity, but Solomon, like all men, eventually died. And when he died, the nation of Israel went into a state of civil and spiritual unrest. The nation became divided on one thing, worship. The question first began is, where to worship? And then that question slowly flowed into Who should we worship? 
And from this division, the once unified nation of Israel is divided into two parts, the northern kingdom known as Israel and the southern kingdom known as Judah. And within these two kingdoms, two kings arose. Rehoboam in the south and Jeroboam in the north. And what we find is when we are divided as to who we should be worshiping, it divides a nation as it did with Israel. Israel began to build altars to false gods, even going as far as building two golden calves in the northern kingdom because that worked so well back in the book of Exodus. When Israel divided itself over worship, they began to crumble. Families started killing their own family members. Four nations began to attack, and there was an overall sense of uneasiness and uncertainty. Eventually, the nation fell into a state of apathy. They were going through the motions. They were doing what was, they thought was expected of them. They had no enthusiasm for God or His Word. They had no concern about where they were spiritually or even a desire to seek after God. They got into a spiritual slumber. They just went through the motions. And the nation of Israel did whatever they thought was right in their own heart without realizing that their heart was corrupted by sin. With that said, there were a number of kings who were godly men. King Asa, King Jehoshaphat, King Hezekiah, and the king we're looking at for the next several weeks, King Josiah. They were righteous to their because of their efforts, they observed the law of God, or what we would call the word of God. And God was still trying to get his people's attention through prophets. And throughout the nation in the history, there were sparks here and there. But again, the overall mentality of the nation of Israel was apathy. A spiritual state of slumber. And the nation of Israel was still a spiritual nation. But they were not one nation. They were not joined in effort in worshiping God, and they definitely were not a nation under the authority of God. There are a lot of similarities in the nation of Israel in the Old Testament to America today. If you read through 1 Kings, 2 Kings, 1 Chronicles, 2 Chronicles, but hear me, I'm not implying nor am I saying that America is the Israel of today. But what I'm saying is we need to take a note from history through God's word, a book he has given us, to see what happened to a nation that began with God at its foundation, but slowly drifted away. In the books I mentioned, 1 Kings, 2 Kings, 1 Chronicles, 2 Chronicles, God sends judgment upon his people by means of invading armies like the Philistines, the Egyptians, the Assyrians, the Babylonians. And in 2 Chronicles, when we come into this passage here in chapter 34, the Assyrians have already conquered the northern kingdom known as Israel. In the north, the people, had named, the people turned from God, and so God handed them over to the surrounding nations. In the south, in the land of Judah, the same thing was beginning to happen as the people were beginning to pursue and worship false gods and idols. And time and time again in the Bible, it says that the king of Judah, the southern kingdom, did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. And what that means is the king, the one in charge, was doing evil, and therefore he was leading the people of God into these abominations, into these evil things. In 2 Chronicles, there's a king by the name of Hezekiah. He was a godly king, but the same cannot be said of his son Manasseh. 
It says in 2 Chronicles 33, Manasseh was 12 years old when he began to reign. And he reigned 55 years in Jerusalem, and he did what was evil in the sight of the Lord according to the abominations of the nations whom the Lord drove out before the people of Israel. And that last phrase is speaking about the events that take place within the book of Joshua. There's a quick lesson there. Just because you have godly parents doesn't mean that you are actually a godly individual. And just because you have ungodly parents doesn't mean you have to follow their path and be an ungodly individual. Manasseh would eventually repent. But the people of Israel had already gone down the path. When Manasseh died, his son became the next king. That begins in verse 21 of chapter 33. His name was Amon. And he followed in his father's footsteps. He did what was evil in the sight of the Lord Manasseh, his father, had done. Here's the thing, if you want to read that later today. King Amon was so wicked and so corrupt, his own servants murdered him. And this was the plan. They had to think, okay, if we murder him, then his son will become king. And we're told here in 2 Chronicles that King Josiah became king at the age of eight, eight years old. How bad does it have to get to say that we would be better off with an eight-year-old on the throne than that man? And so they killed him. And that brings us to verse 1 of chapter 34. Josiah was eight years old when he began to reign. And he reigned 31 years in Jerusalem. So we have this nation, all these things that have been building up to this leadership of Josiah, built upon the principles of God's word, and this nation is basically falling apart. Not only are they being attacked and killed from outside nations, they're literally killing each other as God's people. And yet Josiah, even though he was from a corrupt family, his grandfather was evil, his own father was evil. He was going to lead the nation of Israel into an awakening. And I believe America needs an awakening today. I believe we as God's people need an awakening. To not have apathy, but to have excitement. To have sympathy for those who are lost. To be engaged and encouraged and in awe of what God is doing. We pray for revival, but here's the thing we have to understand about revival and awakening. <clears throat> you want to see it in the nation? You want to see it in our state, in our county, in the communities we live in? You want to see it in this church? Revival and awakening always starts with the individual before it extends to the greater population. So for the next couple of weeks, we're going to be looking at how God used Josiah to do just that and then seek to apply the principles that we find in God's word so there can be an awakening in our lives. There can be an awakening in this church. We're not, we won't be a people that are just going through the motions. I love when you look back in the Old Testament when they began to build the tabernacle. The people were so excited about what God was doing. Abraham or Moses literally had to tell them to stop bringing stuff. It's, we've got too much. The people were engaged. 
They were excited. Even though they weren't at their home yet, they were excited about what God was doing. And they wanted to be a part of that. I've said this before, I'm going to say it again. If this is where God has called you to be, if this is where you consider God wants you to be planted, then he's called you to be a part. Not of everything, but of something. The summary of Josiah's life can be found in verse 2. And he did what was right in the eyes of the Lord, and he walked in the ways of David his father. And he did not turn aside to the right hand or to the left. So let's find some principles here that we can apply to our life. The first thing when it comes to be awakened, to have a personal revival, is we have to come to the understanding that we have been positioned by God. Josiah was a child when he became a king. He was filling a role that his father had been murdered in. The world in which Josiah was now overseeing was a world of chaos. It was a world of unrest. There was revolution happening. There were a lot of uncertainty in Josiah's world, and he had to take it over at eight years of age. He's put in this position, and the world would be awaiting to see what type of person he would become. Maybe the idea was, well, if he doesn't work out, we can just kill him too. We'll move on to the next until we finally find the guy who will be the right king and do the right things for the nation and the people. But Josiah, we have to understand, he became king after his father died because it was to fulfill the promise of God given to David, what is known as the Davidic covenant, in which God pronounced to David that there would always be an individual sitting on the throne from his family line. So it's Josiah was positioned by God at just the right time to do what God wanted and needed to be done for his people. And Josiah would be used by God to lead the nation back to God. So let's just think about this for a moment in a personal aspect. If you were in Josiah's place, what would you do? Think about your life currently. What is your position in life right now? What is going on in your life right now? You might be a a parent, a spouse, a grandparent. Think about where you are working. Think about that period of time Then maybe you're out of working, you're retired, and so you're doing other things with your time. Think about your Vacation times, your hobbies, what you fill your life with. Students, what do you do when you're at school? Life right now may not be exactly the way we want it to be. It may be going crazy. It it may be going good. You may not be the place in your life that you really love at this moment in time. You might be a place in your life where you can't stand what is going on around you. But we have to know this. God has positioned us all where we are for a reason. He does not do anything happenstance or by chance. He does not put us in positions that we're in and say, well, let's see how this works out. Let's see how this plays out. And so with that, there needs to be an understanding. Some things are going to happen in our life 
that are going bad. And the reason they're going bad is because we are making ungodly decisions. And because of our ungodly decisions, we're seeing the fruit of those decisions. But no matter where we are in life, it is not a surprise to God. We may not think where we are at this particular time in life. We may not like it. We may not be enjoying what's going on. Things may not be going the way we planned. This is not where we saw ourselves five years ago. You ever had that question? Where do you see yourself in five years? Well, this wasn't it. But our faith is not built upon circumstances and situations. Our faith is built upon the promise of God, the promises of God. He is in control. He knows all things, and he has a plan for each and every one of us. The Bible tells us in Psalm 139 that God knows every detail about our life. Every minute of our life has been calculated and planned out and written in his book. And so that means God has positioned us where we are to be who he needs us to be, whether it's a good position or a bad position in this moment. I'll tell you about a girl who was put in a tough spot. She had everything she could possibly want at her fingertips. Her life was set. I mean, she didn't have to do anything. But the leaders in her life were making some horrendous and ungodly decisions. Now, she could speak up, but at this particular time and in this particular culture, if she spoke up, she could lose everything. Also in her culture, it was unheard of for a woman, and even forbidden, for a woman to speak against the authority of a man. Yet as the events around her in her life and the position she was in, she came to this conclusion. She knew she could not keep quiet. She knew by her knowledge of God and her conviction to his word that she had to say something or do something, but she knew if she did it, if she attempted what she had on her heart to do, She could die. So risking her life, she decided she would use the position that God had placed her in to make her difference. Her name was Esther. Today as Christians, I think sometimes we feel that we are forbidden to speak about our convictions concerning the word of God. It seems we are classified when we do so as being closed-minded people. That we're people of hate because we stand for the truth of what God says. And much like the generation in Esther's day, people today are being destroyed from knowing the one true God who reigns in heaven. Because God's people have fell to a spirit of fear. The spirit of apathy. We see our world going to hell and we shake our heads. Mordecai came to Esther, and this is the counsel he gave her. Do not think to yourself that in the king's palace you will escape any more than all the other Jews. For he keeps silent at this time, relief and deliverance will rise for the Jews from another place, but you and your father's house will perish. And who knows whether you have not come to the kingdom for such a time as this. We have been positioned by God's children, his ambassadors to his eternal kingdom. God making us his appeal through us for such a time as this. This is not the time to be silent. We must realize that God has positioned us as his people in 2024 to make a difference. 
for the eternal kingdom. The Bible tells us, for we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. The preacher and theologian John Wesley said, we should, every one of us, consider for what end God put us in the place we are. And when an opportunity offers for serving God in our generation, we must not take care to let it slip. We are where we are in life, in our job or lack of job or retirement, family, hobbies, because God has positioned us there to make a difference for his kingdom. You're not there by chance. Students, you're not going to be in that classroom by chance. You don't walk down that hallway by chance. You're not on that extracurricular activity by chance. Adults, you're not at your place of employment by chance. God has positioned you there to bring him glory. And that's where awakening begins. That God has placed me, if you're an adult, not at this place just to earn a check, but he has placed me to be a light and salt in this place. Josiah was eight years old, and he inherited this huge mess. But again, his life is summed up in verse 2. And in 2 Kings, it reads concerning Josiah, Before him there was no king like him who turned to the Lord with all of his heart and with all of his soul and with all of his might, according to the law of Moses, nor did any like him arise after him. And how did Josiah awaken a nation? Look at me at the beginning in verse 3. For in the eighth year of his reign, that means he's 16 now, While he was yet a boy, he began to seek the God of David, his father. Josiah sought after God, even though his father did not. And he, seeking after God, began to to awaken a nation and the people of God to turn back to him and to worship him. And so when it comes to an awakening, it begins with a personal pursuit of God. And a very simple way to do this, because we're what? We're seven days into the new year. If you have not started a Bible plan for this new year, do it. My son Ethan, our son Ethan, did something I didn't do until I was in my mid-20s. Last year he read the entire Bible from Genesis to Revelation. And when New Year's Day started, he went back to Genesis 1 and started again. It's about making time to pursue after God. Josiah's world was in disarray. There was this imposing army, the Assyrians, to the north, and they were ready to invade. And the people of God that Josiah became the leader of had turned away from God. It was a world where everything was seeming lost. Everything was seeming hopeless. People weren't going to worship God in what would have been Josiah's church in his day or the temple. They were going to worship other gods, and they were going to worship things of this world, families were falling apart. Marriages were breaking up. Relationships were being had that God did not ordain, where men were being with men and women were being with women. Children were being murdered. Yet in the midst of all this going on, instead of Josiah looking out and saying, well, the world's just going to hell, Josiah made a personal commitment to seek the Lord. That word seek in verse 3 means Josiah frequently consulted with God. He frequently turned to the Lord. He knew what was happening, but his attention was on God, who sat upon his throne. His heart was directed to him. It would have been so much easier for the decide to, well, what are you going to do? It's too big of a mess. 
It would have been easy for Josiah at the age of 16 to say, well, I'm just a kid. What impact could I make? It would have been easier for Josiah to say, well, I'm just one person. And here's, here's the truth. I didn't make this mess. I just inherited it. Josiah made the commitment. He was not going to shake his head. But instead, he was going to bend his knees and bow his head in prayer and seek the Lord. The nation, this nation, this church family, we need people of God who are going to start to get serious about their salvation and relationship with God. A.W. Tozer wrote, Complacency is a deadly foe of all spiritual growth. And if we truly want to follow God, we must seek to be otherworldly. Easiest thing for us to do, instead of being awakened, is to gossip. It's to cast judgmental stares and have judgmental thoughts. It's to criticize. That's the easiest thing to do. I guarantee you, if you criticize someone in a political office, you will find other people who will agree with you. But we need people of God who are praying who are preaching and proclaiming and representing God. The Lord told King Solomon in 2 Chronicles chapter 7, If my people who are called by my name humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and forgive their sin and hear this and heal their land. If my people. So that wasn't a promise just given to King Solomon. It's to God's people. Jesus commands us, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all these things that we could possibly worry about, all these things that we could possibly want, will be added to you. They'll be taken care of. Isaiah, the prophet says, seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. And so how do we seek God? To be a people of God who are seeking God, we have to be a people in the word. And not just on Sunday mornings, not just in your small group times, not, not just when you get together with someone. We have to be people individually pursuing God in his word. We have to be allowing God to speak through us because his word is living and active. It's the very voice of God recorded for all eternity. And God wants us to know him more. He wants us to be more intimate with him. He wants us to know Jesus more. He wants us to be overflowing with the spirit. So to seek him, we have to be in the word. As God's people, we cannot let the world dictate our pursuit. And so to personally pursue after God is going to call for sacrifices. We're going to have to sacrifice our time. Sometimes we're going to have to sacrifice what we want to do. And we're going to have to make God a priority in our life because here this. If God is not going to be a priority in his people's lives, then how in the world can we expect the people of the world to make God a priority? So what was the result? We'll go back to the end of verse 3 there in chapter 34. <clears throat> he began to seek the Lord, the God of his father, David, and in the 12th year, so now he's what? Let's do the math. 20? In the 12th year, he began to purge Judah and Jerusalem of the high places and the ashram and the carved and the metal images. And they chopped down the altars of the bales in his presence, and he cut down the incense altars that stood above them. And he broke 
in pieces the ashram and the carved and the metal images, and he made dust of them and scattered it over the graves of those who had sacrificed to them. He also burned the bones of the priests on their altars and cleansed Judah and Jerusalem and in the cities of Manasseh and Ephraim and Simeon. So this is now in the northern kingdom. He didn't just stay where he was. He's now going into the north. In their ruins all around, he broke down the altars and beat the ashram and the images into powder and cut down all the incense altars throughout all the land of Israel. And then he returned to Jerusalem. Awakening begins with us pursuing God personally, but finally making a priority on holiness. Josiah didn't just get rid of what was deemed as the big problem in his day. Josiah got rid of all the things that led to the big problem. His priority on holiness wasn't just in his life, but in everything in and around his life. Josiah wasn't going to allow anything unholy to corrupt his heart. And we see in this passage, in these few verses, he did not rest. He did not return to Jerusalem where his throne would have been until he had completely purged the things in his life and the things all around his life. And that word purge in verse 3 and the actions Josiah took tells us that he was making a priority on holiness. He did not want anything to block or, or put a wall up between the people and the God who loved them and the God who saved them. We have to cleanse our lives. Spiritually. Do you have any idols in your life? Maybe it's your kids' activities? Is there anything that is a priority over coming to gather with God's people to worship God? Emotionally. Cleanse ourselves emotionally. Some people here may allow someone just to dip their little daggers into you, and you have an automatic emotional response that you know is not godly. You need to cleanse yourself of that, maybe relationally. This may be for a younger audience, but maybe you're in a relationship that you know you should not be in because the person you are dating is not seeking after God. Intellectually, maybe there's things you're putting into your mind that's going into your heart. Now, I understand some of you kids and students, you're getting taught things that are worldly things. They're not godly things. But you have to begin to see them through the lens of God. Maybe you start cleaning yourself physically. I know that's what I'm trying to do. (laughs) Ever since COVID, I've been hibernating for about three years but I want to be able to do what God wants me to do as long as possible because that means I'm going to have to take care of my body does that mean I'm always going to do it right nope does that mean I'm always going to eat the right thing no I love pizza too much but morally you need to cleanse yourself morally Are there actions you're doing in your life that go against the word of God? When it says that Josiah purged, it means he cleaned house. He made a decision at the age of 20 that he was not going to have ungodly things corrupt his heart and his mind. 
And this decision we have to make as God's people if we truly want an awakening. It's going to call for sacrifices. And we have to personally decide if the sacrifices that we need to make are worth being engulfed with the presence of God. No one can make the choice for you. Joshua told Israel the same thing, Joshua 24, verse 15. He says, if it is evil in your eyes to serve the Lord... Choose this day whom you will serve, whether the gods your father served in the region beyond the river or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you now dwell. And most of you all know this verse. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Seeing awakening in our life and becoming aware of the presence of God, having God show up in our lives like never before, we have to make an inward decision in our heart that will eventually manifest itself outwardly. We have to take care of our heart problem Because God knows our hearts. In Psalm 139, the psalmist came to his understanding that there's nowhere he could go from the presence of God. And there's nothing in his life, nothing in his heart, there's nothing in his mind that God did not already know. And so he came to this conclusion at the end of Psalm 139. Since God knows all things, he knows the bad things and the good things. He says to God, search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. And see if there be any grievous way in me, and lead me in the way of everlasting. They've shared about the greatest gift we were ever given at Christmas, and that is the fact that God's Son, Jesus Christ, came to this earth, and he came to this earth to deal with people's hearts. The Bible tells us we are all born with a heart that has been corrupted by sin, but God in his great love for us sent his son Jesus Christ to die on the cross for our sins and rise again that we can be forgiven from our sins Jesus came to give us a new heart, a heart for God. And so here's a question each one of us has to answer individually. You can't answer it for your husband or wife. You can't answer it for your child or your children. You can't answer it for your grandparent. Where do you stand? If you were alive in Josiah's day, Would you be in the pile of destruction because you have been chasing and living after things not of God? Or would you be standing with Josiah and therefore standing with God? The only way to know the answer to the question is to answer this one. Is the Lord God the Savior of your life? Is he the Master? So Jesus wants to be, and he wants to be in, you to be in a relationship with you, but it has to begin with a choice. You can't be awakened until you begin this relationship. So you may be here this morning, beginning this new year, and the question is, are you ready to begin a relationship with God only found through Jesus Christ alone? And God has made it incredibly easy to do, but incredibly important. First, you have to admit to God, I am a sinner. I fall short of your holiness. I don't even come close to your holiness. But I believe Jesus Christ, your only son, died for my sins. They placed him in a tomb. He rose three days later so I could find forgiveness for my sins and be granted eternal life. And I believe that to be true even if I don't understand it all. And so now it comes to the point where the Bible says you must confess Jesus Christ as your Lord and your Savior. The word Lord means master. Maybe you're here today and you know you have not been pursuing God are placing a priority on holiness, and God is awakening you to see that, that, and now you know there needs to be some changes in your life. That's what I'm going to ask you to do. I'm not going to have a time where you have to come and confess everything to me. I'm not a priest. 
But maybe you need to come to the altar and we have this time of invitation to kneel before the Father and repent because you know you need to make a change. But if you need Jesus and want a new heart, come down and I'm going to pray with you and celebrate with you. And the heavens say that they erupt when one person returns to the Lord. But again, if you already have Jesus, your Lord and Savior, maybe you're hearing like, you know, I have been going through the motions in this relationship. So let's make a commitment today, even though it's the seventh day of 2024, that this year we're going to have a holy focus. This year we're going to pursue after God like never before. Are there things in your life that the Holy Spirit is laying upon you that you need to purge, completely destroy, and clean house? Now is the time not to just be hearers of God's word, but doers. I'm going to ask Nick to come up and lead us in a psalm, but I want to pray over us real quick. Father, thank you for your word. Lord, thank you you give us these challenges because you love us. And these things that sometimes seem impossible or difficult, all things are possible with you. Lord, we know as your people, just as the people in the Old Testament, we can get distracted. Sometimes we can get lazy. Father, you know that about my own heart. Sometimes I've just been lazy. Father, I don't want to be complacent anymore. I don't want to be apathetic. Revive my heart. And I pray for my brothers and sisters in Christ here this morning that you do the same for them. That we will look back on this day I say, that was the day things started to change. That was the day I really started pursuing after you. That was the day my desire for you and your things and to be a part of what you're doing changed. I lift up every family that is represented here this morning, every community. Father, we want to be a church that is used by you in a way that we couldn't even fathom. Thank you for allowing us to be a part of your mission. And Lord, if there's someone who needs to come down the aisle and just to kneel before you, to seek after you as Josiah did, I pray your spirit would just give them the courage to walk down this aisle, not caring what anybody else thinks. And someone here needs to begin a relationship with you through Jesus Christ. Pray that understanding would come upon their hearts and today would become the day of their salvation. Forgive us if we failed you in any way and we pray this all in the name of Jesus, amen. We're going to stand. We're going to sing the song of invitation. The song's called Gratitude. If you need to come down and pray, I invite you to come. If you need to come and kneel before the Father, I invite you to come. If you need to come and accept Jesus, I beg you to come.